It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Happy Wednesday night. I am Matt Perino. He is Ryan Talbot, and this is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Welcome in to the live show. Well, they're all live shows these days, uh, but we had to change things up on the fly a little bit. Uh, we had Tyler Dunn scheduled to come on. He had to reschedule uh, last minute. So, you know, I, I, I go to the bench, bring in Lorenzo Alexander. That's wow. A- Ryan, when when you can bring a guy like Lorenzo Alexander in off the bench, you know you got a pretty solid squad. Am I right? Yeah, you got to right. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, only thing I do see, you're right. Yeah, I, I just wish I had my little at you know one man gang at the bottom so people know where to reach me too on Twitter. See, that's the funny thing. <laughs> you you kind of come. You kind of come. You don't need the advertisement. I think everybody knows where to find uh, the one man <laughs> gang these days. Uh, but how are yeah. how are you now? So 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 I'm sure you've been talking to folks uh, back back in Buffalo training camp over the season right. about to start. You know where are you at with uh, you know missing things? Because we talked to you a couple months ago, and you know you were still kind of settling into retired life. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, I think uh, things are still the same for me. Uh, just enjoying the family, enjoying the kids. Obviously, I'm excited for the guys. Uh, you know getting to see from afar all the hard work they put in under these, you know, kind of uncertain times with the pandemic and all the constraints that put on practicing and how it really shifted the culture and how to practice. But, uh, you know, they got work in, you know, I know Shonda does always does a great job as far as preparing and the guys were definitely prepared and he's set them up the best way he could as far as being ready for week one. And so I'm excited, you know, seeing that offense, seeing what Josh has done, um, taking that next step, uh, you know, adding the weapons, the guys that he has around him, and then obviously seeing the defense really um, start where they they finished off last year and as being dominant from day one. And so I was in an argument today with somebody. They was talking about who are the contenders. You know, obviously the first thing out of my mouth was the Bills. And obviously I'm biased in a sense, but I really do think that looking at what they've done, the culture they've built, and having – I guess an inside perspective for that for so long, I would be in shock if they weren't in contention at the end of this season. You know, obviously one in the division, but number one contention and, and really a team that everybody thinks has a, a real shot at winning this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're just joining in the podcast, he is Lorenzo Alexander. He needs no introduction. Uh, former Buffalo Bills linebacker, now podcast extraordinaire. I mean, I I see every everywhere radio. You're doing a a pregame show tomorrow. What's that all about? Tell people where they can find you tomorrow night. Yeah, we'll be um, working with the 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 cold front report uh, with Jeremy. Um, obviously, he's been doing a lot of great things and, and has a great following. And traditionally, they've done a a, a post game, and so I'm jumping on with him doing a pregame uh, show called the the pressure front. Um, obviously, we're going to be covering everything leading up that week as far as matchups, uh, uh, players to watch, keys to the game, um, and then even probably like preview or, or recap what happened the week prior. So uh, it's going to be a fun thing. But, yeah, like you said, I've been staying as close to the game as I can without actually physically having to go out there and hit someone. So I think that's where I've kind of been um, feeding that that angst, I think, that most people would normally feel uh, sitting out a ball for the first time. 
So this is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Find us on all your audio platforms too. Got to shout that out. Subscribe, rate, and review. Now, Lorenzo, this is a big couple days for the Bills. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, some of the player decisions and some of the, you know, the directions that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott went with the roster. But I'd be remiss if I didn't start with your man, Tredavious White. Huge weekend, massive deal. A, how excited are you? For not only him as a former teammate, but him particularly, a guy that you know anybody that you talk to just has glowing things to say about. Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows you the type of guy he is. I mean, he's just a guy that came in from day one, and I think this is really a uh, uh, characteristic um, or a common thread that you've seen with all Brandon Bean's draft picks and guys that he's come in with. You know, I think there's always been a kind of misconception, and and maybe that's who I, I kind of deal with, with with fans or just in general, thinking that you have to be either great or be a jerk. You can't be a great person and a great athlete. Um, And so really seeing his maturation process from day one coming in, very humble, uh, professional. I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, working out with Pat P and seeing guys like that, Ty Matthew, that that preceded him at LSU and actually building a relationship. But just hungry, coming in, master of his craft, great dude, obviously a great father, great human being all the way around. And so to finally see all that kind of pay off and actually get paid off early, um, I was very excited for him. I mean, and he said it himself, just the the type of impact that's going to have, not only on his family himself, but the community, the different things that he'll be able to bring to his hometown, the resources that that will provide is, uh, is life-changing. It's, you know, it's generational as well. And so I'm just so proud that, um, you know, everything paid off the way he saw it. You know, Renzo, Brandon Bean has said from day one when he's come aboard that they wanted to draft, develop, and keep their own guys in-house. And they've done it with Trey White. They've done it with Deion Dawkins. So now that we see it actually coming to fruition, it's not just the words. He's following through with that. What does that do for the other players in that locker room? Well, I think it does a a couple of things. Obviously, it shows them um, that if you come in here, work hard, put your head down, um, you know you're going to get rewarded. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, especially when I was in the league, you know, you see guys that they bring in and get paid, and it makes you feel a certain type of way. Like, okay, you drafted me. I've been here. I've been producing. Um, why are you paying somebody else um, and not rewarding what I've done here? Um, and so I think it's just great for the organization. You create you create continuity uh, there. And then guys knowing when they come in that organization, if they do the things that have been laid out before them, and as you said earlier, it's just not words to get me to, to do some stuff and then you not reward me, but it's actually going to pay off in the end uh, is huge. You know, guys are willing just to, you know, I think it, you allow that to be your testimony. Hey, hey, guys, you know, so now uh, Trey and Dion are actually going to be telling, hey, man, you come in here and work, you know, you do what you got to do, you're going to get paid. Look at me. And then obviously rewards those guys as well. And so I, I hopefully, you know, you know, being a linebacker myself, hopefully, I, I hope that Matt Milano is kind of next in line somewhere in that hierarchy. And so if it's obviously not going to be this year, next year at some point, because he's another one of those guys that was drafted by the team and has done a, a really good job as far as producing and showing up uh, on Sundays. Yeah, the t- tough times to have your contract come up uh, looking at next year yeah. and this, this salary cap going down. I want to move on quickly to the roster. And, you know, 
you look in years past and some, you know, surprises, if you will, at that 53 cut down, uh, LaShawn McCoy last year, obviously first one to come to mind this year, there, there weren't a lot of surprises. And we were talking to you a few months ago and you said, Hey man, Trent Murphy, man, you, everybody's got to step off this, uh, running Trent Murphy out of town <laughs> business. Right. And you called it way, way before that, uh, you know, any of this happened. I mean, so you weren't surprised by that at all. No, not at all. I mean, Trent is a great player. And then I think people forget that he was coming off of an ACL injury in, what was that, 17 now? And so that first year was just getting healthy. And then last year, you saw more production. And so now they really know that he's healthy, ready to go, um, has gained that confidence because you saw it towards the end of the season. And so for me, looking at that D-line room, you want continuity, leadership, tough, rugged players, guys that do it the right way. There was no reason uh, for them to let him go outside of it, maybe being a financial decision. But uh, I think Brandon Bean has done a great job of putting this team in, in, a, in the right place to where if you don't have to let a great guy, a great football player and a leader in your locker room go because of finances, there's no reason to do it. And so that's why it's always great to make sure that your front office is doing those type of things um, so that you don't have to let great talent, great dudes go. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned Murphy uh, and this defensive line. You, you know, looking at this game on Sunday against the Jets, if there is one mismatch, I think it's going to be that defensive line uh, versus the Jets' offensive line. Let's have five new starters on that line. Well, yeah, there's some new faces on Buffalo's line. You know, yeah, Mario Addison knows the system. Jerry Hughes, obviously, they're going to be kind of probably in some relation. Trent, Ed, Vernon Butler, et cetera, and the list goes on and on. Quinn Jeffrey, yes, absolutely, inside and outside. So, you know, maybe that's one area that defensive line after the quarterback actually sacking the quarterback we haven't seen in years past. So, is that maybe the biggest mismatch that we're going to see on Sunday is the Jets line versus the Bills defensive line? Yeah, that was definitely something that I was going to be looking for, especially with uh, Makai, the big left tackle that the Jets drafted, just seeing the matchups and the people that they put on him and how they try to take advantage of him. Um, especially he's a bigger guy, obviously he moves well, but he's a rookie, you know, still a rookie. And so you have to go out there and treat rookies uh, like rookies and, and make them earn, um, you know, all the hype and all the notoriety uh, of being drafted that high. And so I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how they attack him as well as the, the rest of the offensive line. Um, one thing that our defensive staff have always done is, is found, you know, the weakest link or the protections that, we can take advantage of and then we dial up things to kind of attack that. And so I always like to watch that cat mouse game. And like you said, I think offensive line rely on continuity and playing together more than any other group on the field. And that's why, you know, when I think about the great all lines, they weren't great individually, but collectively is where they really worked. You know, guys helping, knowing calls, being able to communicate very well. And so if they can take advantage of teams not having you know, live reps when I'm talking about practice or uh, preseason games, I think we have a huge advantage in there. And you just named, you know, rattled off four or five guys that can rush the, rush the passer at a high clip. And so, yeah, it's uh, I think that will be a, an upper hand for, for the Bills. Um, but then it's all about finishing. And you said one other thing, you know, sack numbers are great, but you really it's really all about affecting the quarterback. So if I'm hitting Sam Donald all day and, disrupting him and he can't completely pass this. That's just as effective as a sack. Yeah, for a D lineman, we want to get him down and get that stat. But just really watch how the pocket is manipulated and how and what Sam feels like when he's in the in the pocket. I think it's the 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 better metric to look at when you're watching this game. You you mentioned Sam Darnold and you know you're you're 
you know, an expert on the subject just because you faced him probably more than anybody, you know, the Bills and the Patriots and Dolphins than anybody in the league. I mean, four times in two years. He's a guy that's kind of, you know, for all the things that are said about Josh Allen and, and how the Bills have built around him and tried to make him comfortable, the complete opposite could probably be said for what's happened in New York with Sam Darnold. But yeah. on Sunday, I mean, this is still a talented quarterback. I mean, what do the Bills have to do to contain him to, um, you know, make him beat you, if you will? I think you said, I mean, he he's actually a pretty good athlete. I think he doesn't probably get enough credit for that. He's able to scramble and get get around and, and out of the pocket. So really just keeping him in there, corralling him, and then getting him down. Um, I don't think there's any one thing that he just is just horrible at. So, I mean, it's just all about, you know, beating your guy, getting him off the spot, making him feel uncomfortable because he does take his eyes down. When, he's, when he takes off, he's really running. Um, and I think also being physical with his receivers at the line of scrimmage, um, I think it's going to be huge as far as just getting them off their timing. Uh, they like to run a lot of that, you know, intermediate, quick stuff at the line. And I think that was one of the things we were able to do last year was take some of those things away with a couple of our um, adjustments. And so, I, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't have something, maybe something similar, maybe a little tweak here and there, but really just disrupting those receivers early uh, and don't really allow them, especially a guy like Crowder, who I think is his safety net. A um, couple more minutes here before we let you get out of here. And you you called it. You were running the money with Saran Neal a couple months ago. I mean, he has looked the part in training camp so far. I mean, whether they're working him inside, outside, I mean, he could pretty much do it at all. I think actually the media guy just finally changed his position to cornerback, although he could still kind of do a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, um, he's an athlete. But one guy that completely shocked everybody, and I, I actually broke the news on Saturday, and I started getting texts from colleagues saying, hey, man, are you really sure about this Delshawn Phillips? Did he really make the roster? Do you want to go back and maybe check your source? And I'm like, no, man, it is confirmed. He is on the roster. So were you surprised? Because he's actually – I talked to him yesterday, and he told me that you were one guy that really helped him out last year and somebody you looked up to. Yeah, I try to uh, call Delshawn. You know, he's a, a very good good player, ath athletic, can definitely help on special teams, and is still learning this game and learning this game and has definitely made huge strides to getting here a, a couple of years ago. And so I'm never surprised uh, by a guy, you know, because everybody has the ability to go out there. I think it's all about how you want to build your roster. You know, do you keep, you know, six linebackers or seven receivers or however ever shapes out. But watching him kind of move around and, and watching the tape, I wasn't surprised that he was on the roster, especially knowing what he, what he delivers from a special teams perspective. I think people always, you know, when they're thinking about roster, they're thinking about who can help on defense or offense and fail to, realize that he's going to be a four core linebacker as well. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised because I know what type of guy he is, how he's progressed since he's gotten there. And that, you know, obviously coach Bob really likes him as an athlete and can, can help us defensively too, if he's ever called upon. So I'm, I'm happy for him and looking forward to see um, that he's out there, you know, being productive with special teams because that's how he's going to be, have to uh, be active, you know, every week. They released uh, Sean McDermott and the Bills released the uh, captains today. Uh, were you able to see who was who's the captain this year? Uh, I saw it briefly. I mean, nobody surprised me. I mean, obviously, you got Poyer, Tremaine, uh, Jerry. Uh, we had Andre Roberts. What we had Reed Ferguson, obviously, Josh, Dion, and then I'm forgetting one other lineman. Um, is it a lineman or is, or is that everybody? Did I name Jerry, everybody. I think you named everybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, was I surprised? No, those are guys. Those are leaders in the, in the locker room. And there's probably another, 
you know, handful to, to two handfuls of guys that could have probably got right up there with those guys. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the team is just really well built. You have leadership, veterans, you have some young guys, uh, talented guys, rookies that's going to really help to this team. And that's what you need when you want to make a run and, and be productive in this league. And we have one more question uh, before you get out of here. Say hello to your former teammate, Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Searles. Yeah, why did he always get locked up uh, by Jeremiah? <laughs> Obviously, that's a biased question. Man. What's man. up, buddy? How are I'm you? good, brother. I'm doing well. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, man. Just hanging out here in Lincoln trying to beat the cold weather. Okay, how's the family? They're great, man. Little man's doing great. He's 13 months old into everything now. He's at that age where, like, he wants to get everything but doesn't understand, like, everything can kill him. So like, yeah. you have to, like, you can jump off the second story because you'll die. And then he gets angry at you for doing it. So, but it's right. Yeah. That's what's up, man. It's always good seeing you, brother. Absolutely, brother. It's always good to see you as well. Glad to see you're doing well down there. So yeah, things uh, are well. shout out uh, anything you got coming up, anything. I know you got the show tomorrow. Anything else that you want people to kind of be aware of? Um, just stay on the lookout for the foundation, you know, the ACES Foundation, uh, LorenzoAlexander.org. Uh, we'll be doing some different things uh, in Buffalo as well as Oakland. Uh, just trying to help student athletes during this time where they don't have their sport, but trying to make sure that it's productive. You know, a lot of guys transition out of the league. This just happens, and it happens to people at different times, right? Whether you play in the NFL, I was lucky to play 15. Don't don't get drafted and after college, high school, or maybe it's even in middle school. At some point, you're no longer going to play athletics. And so just trying to help them understand all the other things, whether it's media, whether it's being a physical therapist, uh, an agent, a lawyer. There's so many other things that are supportive of the athlete that you can still be productive in and help your community and, and, and still be around sports. And so we're working on some things there in Buffalo to help some of the kids, especially with South Park High School with Tim Delaney. So check out for that. If you go to LorenzoAlexander.org, please sign up for the newsletter. We'll start putting that out quarterly just to kind of keep people informed and, and let people know what's going on as well. There it is. My man, thank you so much for taking the time on short notice. You're the man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime, fellas. I got you. Later, Zoe. All right. Jeremiah Searles, my friend, how are you? I'm great, man. I'm good. I'm hanging out in here in Lincoln, staying, staying warm. It's freezing down here today. Um, well, it's funny if you if you and Zoe kind of meet in the middle, I think you'd be you'd find a little perfection. He said it was uh, first day under a hundred in a couple weeks out in Arizona. So, oh yeah, Arizona's a mess right now, dude. It's freaking <laughs> so hot out there. But like, it's been really hot here. So like Saturday was like a hundred degrees, and then today it's like forty. And like snow, it's been raining, snowing, like kind of that mix all day long. And so it's it's nice because it's like, ooh, football weather. And then I have to remind myself like, oh, the Huskers aren't playing because the Big Ten sucks. So <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's like this, this give and take back and forth. So tell everybody what you're up to. I, I, on your bio, it says media talent for Husker Sports Network. And I got to say, I've watched a few of your podcasts, uh, listened to a little bit of it. You know, I I don't think you're lying there. I think I think you do got a little bit of talent in this uh, second second life you got going for yourself here. Yeah. So uh, once I decided to retire, the Husker Sports Network reached out to me and asked if I wanted to join the broadcast team. Um, and I said, yeah, absolutely. So I was supposed to be doing a bunch of spring football, and then I was going to host a live pregame show here for uh, for the Huskers as well on Facebook. It was going to be a live. It's called Countdown Live, and then a postgame show as well. But because that all got put on hold, we decided, okay, how are we going to 
make some more content. So I'm actually doing this thing called Husker Huddle, which is where it's about a 15 minute segment every week where I catch up with a former Husker and just kind of see what they're doing now, kind of a where are they at now type thing and reflect a little bit on Husker football and see how everyone's doing on that regard. And then really just kind of waiting and seeing when the Big Ten's going to open up, if they're going to open up. What I mean, it's just, it's such a mess, dude. And Lincoln's one of those leading the charge as far as let's try and get football back, um, which is nice to see. But so just doing that. And then uh, I train high school kids a couple times a week, um, offensive line, defensive line stuff, which is really, really fun to do. So, and then with no football, I'm just going to hunt a lot this season, uh, this off season. So I went out, slaughtered some ducks during opening teal this past weekend, and then headed to Colorado next weekend for a week long elk, uh, elk hunt, and then come back and big duck starts October 3rd. And we'll just keep cruising right along. You got it going, man. And That's also, cool. You're following in the footsteps of Eric Wood, because mm. uh, because you uh, you guys retire and all of a sudden you, you, you're getting into uh, bodybuilding competitions or you know or Dude, you, you do got, like shows or something. You gotta get you gotta get it off, man. If you don't get it off, you go the other way. I've seen it happen. I've seen my friends that are like, oh, I'll give it a year or two, and then all of a sudden you're like 360 pounds, and you're like, oh well, too late. So I decided to say it right away. Hired a nutritionist, got on a diet plan, and start trying to drop the lbs. That's great, man. It's great. You look great. So keep oh, keep up the good work. My I man Ron Oliver shirt off too, man. <laughs> there you go. You, you showed off the Bills Mafia. You got to, man. You gotta shout out Bills Mafia. This is a big day for Bills Mafia. First of all, the hashtag changed from That's Go big. Bills to Bills Mafia. So now the little logo's on there. Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs posted this wild picture of, of Josh Allen and his goatee or mustache. It was it was weird. Called him a state trooper wannabe. <laughs> And the Bills actually tweeted the photo and said, if you get 5,000 retweets, we'll make this our profile picture. It happened. So oh. you know, a lot of things are happening right now. And didn't they win the NFL like top fan challenge? Yes. Yes. They did. Yeah, I, I threw that out there like the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing with the Vikings fans because I have a lot of Vikings followers. And then like there was a lot of love aches. It's like, you guys took digs. I was like, dude, they traded for him. It's not like he like – it's like like Buffalo swung up to Minnesota, like threw him in a van and like drove to Buffalo. Like it's not how this works. Like understand a little bit of it. Understand it. Exactly. That's a big gift for you guys, man. Diggs is going to be awesome for you guys this year. Yeah, I want to talk offensive line, but let's start there because, you know, for anybody that's, you know, tuning in now, welcome to the Shell Football Podcast. Our guest is Jeremiah Searles, uh, former offensive lineman for the Bills and the Minnesota Vikings. So you played with Stephon Diggs. You are familiar with what he brings. What did the Bills get? I mean, they got a hell of a competitor. I mean, first of all, that Diggs is the ultimate competitor. I mean, he's got that, that I want to just get the ball. I just want to get it and get after it all the time type of thing, which is really, really neat. Um, but I mean, the one thing too, is that he's going to be a guy that if he's not getting the ball, like you're going to see a little frustration to him at times too. But I think that's good though. I mean, you want that in your receivers a little bit. Um, but the other thing is he's just a tremendous talent. I mean, you put Stefan Diggs and you got smoke on the other side, you got Colby's. I mean, you start really looking at the weapons that surrounded Josh Allen this year. I mean, Diggs and, and Brown could easily both be number one wide receivers. So I think that you're getting really, really big time guys that are going to be there for them. And Diggs being, I mean, Diggs is an absolute smoke, like just, he's a terror with the ball in his hand. Mm. I mean, he's one of those guys that he's going to make the highlight tapes of juking guys and spinning and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So you guys got a big-time playmaker in Stephon Diggs, and people are doubting him a little bit this year just because he's not in Minnesota. I think he's geared to have another huge 1,000-yard year. Yeah, and you mentioned John Beasley. You know, Brown had a career year last year. Beasley had a career year in certain areas last year. 
So now you bring in Stefan Diggs. What's Diggs going to be able to do for them to help them even more in year two for them in this system? Absolutely. I mean, so you start thinking like who who's cornerback one going to cover? Is it going to cover Smoke? Is he going to cover Diggs? Is he going to move into the slot and cover Beasley? I mean, teams just don't have enough top tier corners to cover the weapons that the Bills have. I mean, you got Stefan Gilmore, obviously. So think about it. We're playing the Patriots twice a year, right? Who does Gilmore line up across? I mean, and you say, okay, you go out to your first series and say, okay, Gilmore's got digs. He's matching digs wherever we go. I right, dig. So we're going to throw to smoke. And then eventually if he moves the smoke, we're going to throw to you. I mean, it's just really going to open up a lot of these passing games and these options for these guys, because you can never have enough weapons. Now, of course, there's only so many balls to catch. There's only so many times you're going to throw the football, especially knowing the bills are going to run the ball a bunch because that's just kind of what, I mean, that's what McDermott likes to do, but having receivers like this all over the yard, Josh has never had this many weapons in his arsenal. And I mean, the one thing is you hope that they've been able to with no OTAs with the limited camp, like develop that rapport. But I mean, I know that they probably worked a ton of it in the off season. So I'm excited to see what that really, uh, the, the three headed monster of Beasley smoke and Diggs can really do in the, in the air this year. And like one thing that Stefan Diggs said earlier, um, in uh, back at the beginning of training camp that stuck out to me was, you know, this is going to be his fifth new offense since he's, since he's been in the league in six years. So yeah, yeah, he's been at one spot, but he's had different quarterbacks. He's had different offensive coordinators. So I feel like when you've gone through that process already, he's almost become kind of an old pro at that adjusting. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, at the same time, like once you understand, and a lot of people don't understand this, I mean, for every offense, yes, there's different terminology and that's the hardest thing. But at the end of the day, like the route trees, the route trees, the route tree, just like, as an offensive lineman, you can only run inside zone, outside zone, and power so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think for Diggs is just the terminology. Now, I know Buffalo's offense, and I know Dable's offense especially, is full of words, right? Code words for the code words for the code words type of thing, where it's like, okay, if I say this, it means this. But as long as I don't say this word, it doesn't mean this. Like, it can get a little confusing at times. So, I think Diggs is, again, like you mentioned, he's been through a lot of that. I mean, we did it twice when I was in Minnesota. We went from North Turner. Then we went to um, – Oh my gosh, Pat Shermer. And then we went from Pat Shermer to Stefanski. I mean, I did it for three different guys. And so I'm sure that he's going to be able to adjust that fairly quickly. But I think the biggest thing is just the ability to, he's always had another big time receiver with him. So I think Diggs is going to be able to adjust that of that. He might not still always be the featured guy, but he's used to that, right? He's not like an AJ Green that's always just been the guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's used to having a partner in crime with Adam Thielen in Minnesota and now John, and now John Brown here in, uh, Buffalo. So I think the terminology piece is going to be the hardest thing, but Diggs is a smart guy. He's a really smart guy. He'll be able to get that figured out really quickly. That seems to be the theme of the kind of people that they want to get in the building there, you know, on both sides of the ball, but, you know, specifically on offense. Like I remember talking to, uh, I believe it was Brian Dable or Bobby Johnson about you. And that's one of the things that they raved about you that, you know, a high football IQ, same thing with John Feliciano, our buddy over there, uh, right guard. Yeah. Um, that, High when you have a complicated system, Cole Beasley said it's the most complicated offense he's ever been in. You need guys that know what they're doing and can kind of communicate at a high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. If you've got the terminology that Dable wants to run, and I mean Dable wants everything one word, right? He wants to run out there and say Harden, and everyone's on the same like exactly. We know the protection scheme, we know the route tree, we know the count, right? And it's one word fire. Dable wants to play fast. That's that's his mo, right? And I think with Josh Allen going into year three. You're going to see a lot more of that up-tempo offense now with that. Now, it's going to be a little bit harder because you do have new pieces and you didn't have the OTAs. You didn't have all the training camp. But I think with the ability of high football IQ guys, right, these guys have started to plan 
and put together the pieces that they want in their system, right? Like they really know the guys that they want. And so if you get enough of those guys put together, it becomes easy because they all start feeding off each other. If Mitch Morris is in there in the middle and he's the guy that's leading all the shots, then maybe the right guard and the left guard need a question to ask, but they know that they can rely on each other because Mitch has been there now two years. I mean, this offensive line has been together. Now they haven't been in the same pieces a lot, but they've all been in the same room besides maybe one or two guys. So that's going to be really big, too, for the guys up front. But, yeah, high football IQ and Dable's offense is a must. You know, you just mentioned Morse, and you have Dion, you have Quentin Spain. And, yeah, there, there might be some changes on that right side of the line, but there's a lot of continuity there where on the opposite end, Buffalo's week one opponent, the Jets, have five new starting linemen on, on that uh, lineup coming into week one. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a former lineman yourself, how hard is it to play next to someone, especially in an offseason like this where no OTAs, no preseason? How hard is, is it going to be from a communication standpoint and, and even just a protection standpoint? I mean, the biggest thing is they're not going to have to worry about Bill's Mafia going crazy in the stands. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are, are really taking – I mean, so example I used, I was on a Vikings podcast today talking about week one against the Packers, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers has notoriously struggled in U.S. Bank Stadium. I don't think he's going to struggle this year because guess what? Aaron Rodgers can go do Aaron Rodgers things that he does at Lambeau, making checks, making calls, pointing things out. He doesn't have to worry about people freaking out on third and long. And so I think that 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 then turns into favor with two types of quarterbacks. One, the Hall of Famers, right? You start talking about the Aaron Rodgers, the Phillip Rivers, the Tom Brady's, the guys that can now make the checks. It's going to really help them. It's also really going to help – save some of the younger quarterbacks, the Sam Darnolds, the Baker Mayfields. I mean, the guys that are still getting their feet wet because they're not too worried about crowd noise. They can go on cadence. They can make checks at the line. So, I mean, I think that that's going to help those guys, especially with five new offensive linemen starting for the Jets. I mean, I know one of the guys, Alex Lewis, a good buddy of mine, he's starting for them. I mean, so they got a lot of work to do, but I think that people are really going to don't understand that road games and like the crowd noise is a huge factor in these games. And so not having that this year is really going to be very interesting to see how offenses start doing on the road compared to how they've done on the road in the past. So uh, the Bills put out their first unofficial depth chart today, and everybody got was so excited. It was almost like Christmas morning because Sean teased the right side of the line on Monday, and then he got to today, and he's like, well, I'm not holding anything back, but I'm going to hold everything back and say it could be anybody. And But, you know, it's interesting. I've seen a lot of things over the course of the last three weeks I'm not privy to say because it will give things away. Yeah, they'll you, shun you, right? Don't they like shun you, shame you away from yeah, practice? No one get like walked away up there. Yes. Well, let me ask you this first before we get into you know the nuts and bolts of it, because I want to ask you something about Cody Ford. Yeah. But I, it, you know, a lot of fans or you know media members kind of see this tactic in this environment and kind of you know roll their eyes or whatever. But you know, I've kind of maintained that I do kind of get it that if you have a competitive advantage to find and use. Why not use it? I mean, you know, this is an important year. Now, I don't want to say it's not even close to a make or break year for Sean or Brandon or the Bills, but it's what this has all been leading up to. So if they if they can find an advantage to help them win, especially early on in this environment, why not do it? Absolutely. I mean, football, I mean, the NFL is all a game of inches and a game of advantages. I mean, if you can give an opponent one less thing to study because they don't know who they're going to line up across, that gives you the advantage. So I have no problem with it. I think sometimes, and now that I'm in the media, I fully understand and I fully get how frustrating it is. But like at the same time, I've been on the other side where you want that competitive advantage. You don't want that D lineman knowing and being able to pull up tape from a year ago or two years ago. Like, 
okay, so say Cody Ford is starting at right guard. Well, he's going to pull up some maybe some preseason tape from last year when he played some guard and say, hey, how did he play here? What's something I can attack? What's something I can't attack? Or it's like, hey, who's starting at right tackle? Is it Daryl Williams? Is it Ty Naseki? Or is it Cody Ford? And then let me pull up that tape and let me study those guys and see what they can look like too. So, I mean, any time you can get a competitive advantage like that, you absolutely should do it. And Sean, I mean, Sean's a close to the best guy, right? I mean, I've never been around more of a coach that wants to play things closer to the chest. I mean, go. I'm talking about anything from like what time's the meeting to like who's starting at right guard. Everything's like this cloak and dagger hide thing, which isn't necessarily awesome as like a lot of times, but at the same time, it's just who he is. So I think that, yeah, I have no problem with it. And I think it's going to be good for uh, the Bills in the long run. You know, you mentioned all the names, Ford and Secchi, Daryl Williams. Uh, Williams had a really strong camp by all accounts. And Secchi, when he was out there last year, we think he played very well. So all things considered, in your opinion, where do you think Cody Ford should play? Uh, especially when you look, you know, you don't want to think too far down the road, but this is a former second round pick. You don't have that fifth year option on the guy. You want to get him into his best spot sooner rather than later to see what he d- turns into. So if you're Sean McDermott, where would you put Cody Ford starting in 2020? You know, I think in a perfect world with John Feliciano staying healthy, I think you put Cody Ford to right tackle. I really do. I think that that's where he could play really well. I think that's where they drafted him to play. You don't really draft a guy in the second round and be like, we're going to move you to guard. Like, you don't draft guards in the second round. Unless you're Quentin Nelson, like, it just doesn't happen, right? I mean, you want to draft tackles. And and I always tell people, you can always move people in. Like, you can go from tackle to guard to center and then to home, which is what I did. Like, started as a tackle, moved into guard, went to center, and then you weren't good enough, so you go home. But you, 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 don't, you, don't really, you don't really move out. Like, you don't really see someone like, hey, we drafted the center. Like, let's see if you can play guard. Oh, let's see if you can play tackle. Like, so I think that they truly drafted Cody to play tackle, and I think Cody can play tackle. I don't think it's a matter of can he or should he. Like, I think he is a true tackle. I've watched him play. I was there with him. Sorry, my dog's trying to choke himself on my cords here. <laughs> I think I got a chance to watch him watch him when I was there and do his thing. I think he's a really good tackle. He's got really good feet. He's got strong rate, like, in the run game. But I think that he's a guy that could play guard. Now, do I think he's a starting guard in the NFL? I don't know if he has that power and that anchor to really sit on that bull rush right from the get. I could be wrong, but as I watch him, I think he's a guy that's athletic and wants to get in space and like really mirror guys out there. So I wish he could play right tackle, but I honestly think that with, and you mentioned it, you got to get him on the field. He's a second round pick. I think with Feliciano going down, he's going to be the guy that steps in at right guard. I don't know anything about anything. I haven't talked to anyone up there really. This is just what I'm guessing from watching. I think it's like, okay, we drafted this guy in the second. We need to get him on the field. Where should we put him? We got to put him at right guard, which is a gaping hole for us right now because we have so many good options at right tackle. Mm-hmm. What are your impressions of Brian Winters? Because obviously, you know, you paid attention to the thing with the Jets. You, you mentioned uh, your buddy up there now. Spencer Long was there before he joined you guys in Buffalo. Um, and which, by the way, if you want to say anything about Spencer Long, a uh, nice little career that he had. Uh, he until two years ago, so he's he's literally he's been my best friend since college. We played together in, in Nebraska together. Um, we were hoping to get the chance to play next to each other um, in Buffalo there, but I mean, I getting hurt, him getting hurt, whatever, it didn't just didn't work out. But yeah, he called it a career. He's cruising the world right now with his girlfriend, loving life. So proud of him. Good for him. He was sad to leave Buffalo. I mean, everyone I've talked to is always sad to leave Buffalo. I mean, we love it up there, dude. It's such a fun place. Man, all these comments are going to start. Like, if there was like little like hey. buttons, if if this was the Buffalo Fanatics show where the, you got to pay money to to do the comment, they'd be like, ding, ding, ding. 
Yeah. <laughs> I out my Buffalo gear. I still like, I, I find Buffalo fans all the time. I mean, it really is like a hidden, I can compare it to Nebraska fans, like the diehard, right? I mean, if you meet a Buffalo fan, you don't meet a like, oh yeah, I kind of like the Bills. It's like, dude, I bleed for the Bills. Yeah. Like, you, just, you don't find them like they, like they do for Bills fans. It's pretty sweet, man. Yeah, man. And it's, it's what makes our job so awesome. I mean, I came from the UFC and, you know, people that I meet, from the national scene sometimes ask me how are things going since you moved back to buffalo and it's like you don't understand man every day of my job i have like a couple you know dozen thousand people that are just chomping at the bit to to kind of hang on every word that i have it's crazy there's not a lot of things like that i mean you go to san francisco san diego i mean i played in san diego right you would think like man the chargers did a Dude, Sunday afternoon, there's a lot better things that people want to be doing than hanging at the San Diego Chargers. Like, they go to the beach, they could care less, right? <laughs> when you go to a place like Buffalo or even here in Lincoln, like, you live for it, right? Which is why, literally, like, you walk around the streets of Lincoln here right now, you would think, like, the whole city got shot. Like, everyone's just so sad and, like, depressed because there's just no Husker football. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Buffalo would be the same way. If all of a sudden they were like, hey, guys, no Buffalo football this year, like, the whole city would just go into, like, depression, like it'd just be cold and sad and everyone would just sit at home and just like cry and I don't blame them but yeah I mean Buffalo Bills fans are by far the best fans in the NFL it's not even close one more thing before we we wrap this up because I don't want to keep you too long we're going to do this I can talk all night I'm in no hurry look at this guy he's like (laughs) let's just go he comes in on short notice just delivering the goods comment after comment great stuff Jeremiah um but I want let's let's shift the thing And, and this could you know take a few minutes to talk about you know, one of the things that you know, I, I'm Ryan and I both are, are pretty high on Josh Allen. We talk to, you know, whether it be out of market people or in market people that maybe don't share our same enthusiasm at times. Um, I, I think that there is a lot that you should like from what happened last year, while also saying at the same time, there's things that you hope as a fan, as a co- member of the coaching staff, teammate, you want to see Josh Allen improve upon. One of the areas where I feel like he struggled the most last year, and it's pretty obvious, this is not rocket science, was when defensive coordinators were able, whether it was personnel-wise or just scheme-wise, able to throw the kitchen sink at him. And one of the guys that he'll he'll face is, Der- is Greg Williams this weekend, who likes to dial up those blitzes and get after the quarterback. Do you feel like, again, outside of it now, just watching from afar, what are the things that a quarterback has to do to get better at that? And can you improve upon that? And is that, or is that an offensive line thing? To kind of take us all around what needs to happen there. Yeah, so I mean that that's a great question because there's so many there's so many pieces that go into that answer. Um, so I've got to play with some unbelievable quarterbacks in my career. So I started my career with Philip Rivers, right? Who, in my opinion, is one of the a Hall of Famer. It's not even, it's not even close. I mean, the, the smarts of that guy's incredible. I then go to Minnesota, where I'm with a young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. Who then brings in, he gets hurt, who brings in a veteran, Sam Bradford. Again, incredibly intelligent human being, the way he approaches things. Then go to Case Keenum, and then I come to Carolina where I get to play with Cam Newton. Then I come up to Buffalo where I get to play with Josh. And so I've had a little bit of variety of everything, and there's no great answer for that question except for it takes a village. So when I say that is, yeah, so offensive court, defense coordinators see a young quarterback and they think let's throw stuff at him that he's never seen before because a quarterback has so many things on his mind, right? He breaks the huddle. He's thinking, okay, what's the coverage? What's the cadence? Who am I going to? Who's my first read? Like, and a lot of the times his first thing, his first inclination is not what blitz am I going to see? Like who is it four down front? Is it three down front? Is it Mike Jack, Sam, whatever it might be. Like you really don't get 
you really don't get a lot of that. So I think now that Sam, not Sam, now that Josh has moved into year three, same system, which is extremely important. I think you see a lot of young quarterbacks if they start mixing systems early on, their development just like completely stops because they don't truly get to develop through a system. So Dable, year three here, he now knows the system to where now when he breaks the huddle, he can start being like, okay, let's identify coverage. Who might he doesn't have to think who his first read is. He knows who his first read is, right? There's a difference between, okay, wait, who is it? Is it is it the is it the post? Is it the slant versus break the huddle? Okay, I know that's my first read. Okay, let's look, let's get the blitz figured out. Like in him and Mitch Morris and the in the center start having this connection of where they're one, right? Okay, hey, Mike's right. And all of a sudden Josh comes up and like sees the safeties rotating and is like, hey, hey, let's let's go left. And then as soon as he changes the mic protection, the whole line now knows the whole protection. Everyone can shift. And I think you're going to see more of that out of Josh this year strictly because he's going to become more comfortable in it. I mean, as a rookie quarterback, the last thing on your mind is protections. I mean, it really is. You want to put all that on your offensive line, which is great, but sometimes the offensive line will move a protection and as a quarterback, you're thinking, oh, shoot, I'm protected over here, but now it's a hot, right? And you're not protected because we moved the protection and the hot then moved, like the hot route, hot read now moved, and so that can cause confusion. When I was with Phillip Rivers, he used to kick the offensive coaches out of the meeting room and say, I'm running the blitz meeting with my center, my O-line, and my running backs because we're the ones playing on Sunday. Mm. And it was remarkable. I was like, you can do that? <laughs> All right, sure. Like, if you say so. And so we used to, Wednesday mornings at 5 a.m., he would meet with all rookie O-linemen and centers, go through the blitz tape, and then we'd have the Wednesday afternoon full offense blitz meeting. And so when I was in uh, Buffalo, actually Derek Anderson started kind of implementing that. Old DA, man, love the guy, throwing piss missiles. He, uh, he would then implement like, hey, we should go over protections and we should make sure we're all on the same page. So we used to meet early Wednesday mornings, go over it Thursday nights as an O-line, and start just getting everyone on the same page to where Josh would put the clip up, setter make the mic point, and then we play the blitz. We look at the blitz and say, okay, what would we do different here? Hey, maybe we'd new mic here, we'd slide here, do 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 do. And I think it was really good for Josh as a young quarterback. That was his rookie year to to then learn how to do that. And so I'm guessing over the couple of years he's continued to do that. And I think that you're going to see that growth as an offense because again, it's the running backs making sure they're clued in. It's the receivers understanding where the hot route is. If they bring one more, then we can pick up. And it's quarterback and the offensive line put together. So, yeah, he's still going to see things that he hasn't seen before. But I think he's going to be more prepared because he's going to do less thinking and more reacting, which is what a great quarterback does. And going back to something you said earlier with the whole no fans in the stands, is that something that could then benefit Josh in these situations oh, where yeah. he can see something and he's going to be able to communicate to the line, to the running backs? And it's not going to be one of those situations where you see the backs like tapping, like, I can't hear you because mm-hmm. it's going to be crystal clear. So is, is this something then that could benefit Josh and help him take that next step? Absolutely. It's like I said, man, it, Josh is still a young quarterback. Like he's a vet. He's a third year guy now. But I mean, he's still a young player. He's still developing in a very drastic, like big way. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that he can go to New England and there might not only be 10,000 or 11,000 or however, I don't even know if New England's allowing fans, but the fact he's going to be able there, it's going to be third and nine, third and eight, he's going to be able to walk up the line and talk and say the things he needs to say and in the huddle not be screaming and not having to communicate hand signals, like all verbal still. That's going to be a huge piece of his development because it's just, again, it's not as like panicked, right? That's a hard thing to do when you're on the road because usually you got the clock winding down, you're trying to get everyone to make sure everyone's on track and you're yelling, you're screaming hand signals versus – now it's just going to be able to be just like you're at home, right? It's going to be just like a home game. Every game's going to be a home game. So that's really going to help guys like Josh. And like I said, Josh Baker, like Sam, that whole young, like Lamar, like all those young guys, it's going to be huge for. 
But at the same time, it's really going to help the older guys, the Phillip Rivers, the Tom Brady's. Like those guys are going to be able to pick apart. Defenses are going to have a hard time stopping those guys when usually at home they can fool them and, and dick around and do whatever. But it's not really going to be that easy anymore when you're home. All right, pick this apart for me. Let's do it. Because I've actually gotten a chance to kind of be out there and see how, you know, piecemeal how this offense is going to work. Mm -hmm. And where I think I've been banging this drum for a couple of weeks now, where I think Stefan Diggs is going to make the most difference for not only Josh, but this offense is what he can do after the catch. And so that, that comes into play early. Like you can get the ball in his hands right off the snap, whether it be a quick screen, a quick slant, whatever you want to do. Once that ball's in his hands, he offers something now that wasn't there last year. Cole Beasley's shifty. He can, he can get separation, but after the catch, he's not really breaking tackles and running guys over. I watched some tape from Minnesota and, and Stefan Diggs. I don't know what I was thinking, but this guy is powerful. He's aggressive. He seeks out contact. So I think like, that's just like a comfort zone for Josh Allen to know anytime I need him, I got Stefan Diggs, get the ball in his hands, let him do work. Absolutely. And he's the kind of guy that like most of the time, those shifty receivers that you talked about, the Cole Beasley's, the Julian Edelman's of the world, like they can't take the top off of a defense either. Diggs can't. Mm. Right. So, I mean, the cornerbacks pick your poison. The cornerbacks say, do I press this guy and get risk, like getting beat off the snap on a slant him having two steps of separation and knowing he can take it to the house at any minute or do I give this guy some cushion because I know he might run right by me and then all of a sudden he's running an eight-yard hook and I'm trying to break on him and he's spinning off of me. I mean, Diggs brings so much physicality to the game. It's like you said, a lot of people don't view Diggs as a physical wide receiver because he's not very big, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not your typical six foot four, 210, 215-pound wide receiver, but he's very powerful and he's very strong and he works incredibly hard in the weight room. That's one thing. Diggs has always been a weight room guy. He works his tail off in there. And you see it like the dude's built pretty well. I mean, he's a pretty solid guy. So I think that that's a big piece of Josh is going to have the comfortability factor. And I think that's a huge thing of when you talk about Josh Allen's development is really being trustworthy and really comfortable in the fact of the people around him. I think Josh isn't going to run as much this year. I think there's still going to be times, but I think he understands like I have enough pieces and I have guys that are way more like, like explosive with the ball in their hands than I am. Like, let's get it to them faster. A three yard slant's okay. Because that three can turn into a touchdown or it can turn into 10, it can turn into 15. But also I think Josh is starting to understand, like, if I keep plugging that three-yard slant in the fourth quarter, that 20-yard post wrap is going to be open because those guys, those safeties are going to start sucking up because we're just picking them apart on this. And I think that's a big piece, too, of you have so many guys now that can run so many different routes effectively. But that's really where you're going to see. I mean, Josh might – I think the deep ball needs to get better. I think everyone understands Josh's deep ball wasn't great last year. And Diggs can blow the top off a of defense. So can Smoke. I mean, he has two really good guys that can go deep on that. So I think if Josh can really kind of pin down that accuracy on the deep ball and then plan on just getting these balls in the hands of Diggs and Smoke quickly, it's going to be really, really good for him because it takes a lot of pressure off him and hopefully keeps him out of third and long. Let me utilize your college football knowledge and yeah. go back to, you know, last season, the last couple seasons in the Big Ten, Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa, I want to I want to learn a little bit more about him because yeah, it's funny. Yeah, and I'm still kind of shocked that the Bills got him where they got him. Now, I will say early on in training camp, you could see the t at times against a pro-level offensive line with veteran guys. He's struggling at times, but I think that's probably to be anticipated. But what did you like about him coming out, and were you surprised that he fell so far? No, I wasn't surprised he fell so far because he's not the true speed rush. He's a tweener. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's a true defensive end. I think that the NFL has moved more into this true speed defensive end versus this like what it used to be, right? It's not the the heavy, solid, big power run defensive ends anymore. It's really the can we get the Daniil Hunters, the Najakus or whatever his name was that came from Jacksonville or the Von Millers or the Cleo Max, like these speedsters, right? Like quick to the quarterback. Can we get there in two and a half seconds versus the true power rush? And I think Epinesa is not really that true speed guy off the edge, but he's also not quite big enough to be a starting three technique. Mm. Like he's a true tweener and he can do a lot of good things. I think he's extremely powerful. I think a lot of people don't understand. He's a strong, powerful guy. I mean, you come from Iowa. I mean, love or hate whatever their old strength coach was there. I mean, Doyle did a phenomenal job in developing guys. I mean, he did. He, that's just what he did. He's a strong mm. – he was a weight room guy. And so, I mean, I, I watched Epinesa a lot last year as I was breaking down film on Iowa for the Huskers. I mean, the dude just runs through people. And he's got really long arms. And I think that where you're going to see him is third down packages over the guard. I think that's where you're going to see a lot of Epinesa this year. I mean, strictly because there's so much talent out there for the Bills on the edge, right? You got you got Jerry Hughes, who's – I mean, he's a double-digit sack guy a year. You got Trent Murphy, who I think is still going to be a stud. And then, I mean, you got, is he a rotational guy or is he a special package guy? I think Epines is a special package guy because there is going to be times where he's not going to be able to hold up as a starting three technique in the run game on first and second down, mm. at least not this year. It's a true position switch for him, right? I mean, that's a whole different ball game in there. You start putting two guard tackles, double teaming you, like professional guys, like that's going to hurt. You're going to have to learn how to fight that. Right. But I think that he can do some really good things in the pass rush game because he is a defensive end. I mean, you start running games with him and Jerry Hughes and Ed Oliver and him inside. I mean, I think I think that could be where you see a lot from him this year versus the true starting, get him rolling type of thing. All right. Same school, different player. Someone that's been in the league for a few years. Ike Butker. He's Love a guy him. that seems, seems to fly under the radar a little bit. You know, last year he wasn't on a lot of so the So let me just say man. here, let me, let me yeah. interrupt this guy, okay? This is a this is a crush that Ryan has had for three years. He has hey, been the president it. of the Ike Bucker fan club since I got here. So this is a great question. I'm excited. Let's for go for it, man. <laughs> so what is he doing that maybe is flying under the radar? Or is this something where the Bills have seen enough where they're like, you know, maybe he's not where we want him to be yet, but we see those special traits. We see that we can develop this guy into a starter sooner rather than later. So Based on what you've seen from him, you know what what do the Bills have in Ike Bucker, a guy that keeps making this fifty three man roster? Yep. So what I see in Ike, and so I actually lived with Ike last year during OTAs. Um, he was my rookie when I went there, so I always my whenever I did after about my third year, I was like, I'm always going to grab a rookie, and I'm going to try and teach them and help guide them and be a mentor for them. So they, especially the undrafted guys. And what I told Ike is what I had someone tell me is like the more you can do the longer you can stay. And I took that to heart. I can play all all five positions on the offensive line, much like I could. And you can make a damn good career out of that because it makes you really hard to cut, especially with the new rule of having to dress eight guys on game day now. Like if you have to dress eight offensive linemen, you want to make sure you have that one offensive lineman that can play all the spots, right? I mean, if all of a sudden, especially now with John, who was the backup center, now, with him being hurt, you want to have two or three centers on the roster to make sure that those guys can do it. I think Ike has just proven time and time again of how much he can provide in that utility man role. And I'll say this, Dable loves, loves utility. Like, Dable loves guys that can play multiple spots, loves guys that can do different things. And so I think that Ike is one of those guys that 
I mean, I think they were upset when they lost him to Kansas City after his rookie year, and then they got him back. And I think that they understand that if they let him go, like he won't be on the street long. Like he's not a guy they could hide and try and sneak on the practice squad. Like he's done enough things. He's played enough positions that teams understand what he is. So I honestly think that they see him right now as a utility guy, but they obviously wouldn't keep him around if they didn't think they could bring him into a starting role eventually. Um, you got to think John's on his contract year. Spain's on a one year, maybe two year. I mean, Mitch Morris is going to get really expensive here really quickly if you don't just keep like if you keep paying him. So there's going to be opportunities. I mean, Brian Winters is only on a one year. So, I mean, there's opportunity for next year, which Ike will be into his fourth year, um, which is really cheap. Right. I mean, you're not you're paying the guy peanuts on a rookie deal. There's really no point in cutting a guy like that. It's not like you're all we have to cut him and save some cap room like that's a guy that is trustworthy, you know, can get you through a game right now if you need to probably could start a couple of games for you. And you're only going to pay him 600, 700K this year compared to a guy that you might have to go get off the street that you're going to pay 1.5 to 2 million for. So I think it's a win win for the Bills. And really, it's a win win for Ike. Undrafted guy coming in, doing his thing. He made the active roster of his first three years in the league. That's awesome, man. I want to ask you about that, uh, you know, that group of guys. And if you've had any conversations with guys in the league the last couple weeks, couple months, because like you look around the league and, you know, just to use Buffalo as an example, you see a guy like Evan Bame, who in most years, I don't think the bills could have probably gotten away with cutting him. I think that they want him in the, in the mix. And I think it showed that when they brought him back on this practice squad and then they made him one of their protected four uh, yesterday. Uh, but how are you think guys are handling this? You see the Bills, they go and they cut Andre Roberts and Dean mm-hmm. Two two veterans only to bring them back, kind of like a handshake deal on the way out. Hey, we'll bring you back, but you need guys to do that. You cut a guy like Evan Bame, uh, who might be kind of bummed about that. A guy that was expected to make the roster had a nice training camp, but he comes back, embraces his role with open arms. I mean, what what's kind of the feeling about this environment, this climate? I think that the whole NFL is in this super weird like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't thing, right? I mean, without the preseason, the preseason this year, I don't think a lot of teams are going to be venturing around looking for old game film from last year of, hey, we should sign this guy off of what he did in 2019. Mm. Um, it just doesn't make sense, right? And that's what the preseason is for. is like, hey, how did this guy develop over the offseason? How did this guy improve his game? Especially you start talking like O-linemen. Like O-linemen make big jumps in offseason, their strength, their technique, their footwork. And so, I mean, if you're if you're a guy that gets cut and your team like Buffalo is like, hey, we're going to bring you back, you'd be way more likely to be like, I want to go back to this team. I know the system. I know what their roster situation looks like. I know where I fit in versus if all of a sudden the Packers are like, hey, we want to bring you over here. It's like, I know nothing about you guys. Mm. I know nothing because I didn't get to watch any preseason film. I didn't get to know who's on your roster. I don't know who you like. I don't know anything, right? You can watch preseason games, and that's what your job as an agent, if you're going to be an agent, like in your guy, you're supposed to be watching all the preseason games so that when that moment calls, that your client calls you and is like, hey, I just got cut, you understand what all other 31 rosters look like kind of in that regard. But this year, no one knows anything, right? It's just big, giant secret. And so you probably should just kind of stick around with what you've got and understand like, hey, I know I'm probably one or two injuries away from being activated here. I'm one guy catching COVID or I'm one guy of having four guys catch COVID on the front four that I'm going to be starting that week, right? I mean, there's just so many moving factors and so many moving pieces to it that I think that that's why you saw a lot of those guys stick around. And you saw it really across the league. I mean, an example I love using is Riley Reef from Minnesota, right? They told him, like, hey, you have to take a pay cut or we're going to cut you. 
And I think in most years, he would have been like, screw it, cut me. But I think he understood the climate of what the NFL is right now and how everyone's playing everything so close to the chest because no one really knows how the season's going to end or how it's going to even turn out that they then decided like, okay, I'll take the pay cut and I'll stay here. I mean, that just doesn't happen often in the NFL, right? How many times do you see guys that are like, oh, yeah, I'll take the pay cut? Like, you just <laughs> like, flip them the finger and on your way. And I think that that's just the climate right now is just this huge unknown. So you really want to stay with what's comfortable, stay with the clarity, stay with, hey, I know what this is because it's safe. And maybe it's not where ideally I want to be, but I understand that it's still in front of me. I can still make this active. I can still help contribute. And, I mean, you, you're part of a team that you think is going to have a really special year. Man, I will tell you this. It has been great to catch up with you, but I do miss you being in the locker room because interviews like this, uh, are, are, like you know now, are a, a media member's dream, my friend. You are great. I think one comment here, uh, he is a natural at this, and, sir, you are. Let everybody know where they can find you. First of all, if you're a gamer, if you like watching you know, mm. Twitch streams, I see the chair behind you. You, you. you get it going. You get after it. Yeah, Respawn, if you're watching, I'd love a sponsorship. Uh, no, so I do. I stream on Twitch uh, at jsearl 71 on Twitch. I need to get back on there and roll in here. But you can find me on Twitter, Searle71 underscore HSKR here. Uh, Instagram, jsearl 71 I'm really, like I said, I'm covering Husker football, trying to cover a lot of Big Ten football this year. Whenever that may happen, probably not till 2021. But uh, you can follow me. I'm going to be doing a lot of Vikings coverage this year, too, up there with a good friend, Matthew Collar, up there on Purple Daily. Mm. Um, so I'll be covering some Vikings football up there. Probably be jumping back on with you at one point here, Matt, covering some Bills football because everyone always asks me, like, who's your team? Like, who's your team? And I'm like, my team are my buddies, man. Like, my, my team are, like, the guys that I know still and the teams that I follow. It's Buffalo. It's Minnesota. It's uh, Panthers. It's – and so, I mean, I, I follow, but, like, Minnesota and Buffalo, man, you two, you two teams are my love. So I, I definitely won't be missing any Sunday games for those boys. And, hey, listen, that's like the, the uh, Bermuda Triangle – Oh yeah. Uh, these days, you know, Minnesota and Buffalo, the Stefan Diggs connection. And we all know about the love affair between Carolina and Buffalo oh, these God. days. Let me ask you this before I get you out of here. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Keep no, dude, I got to be. Cam Newton, New England. How's he's this gonna thing going to work? He's going to crush it, dude. Oh, that, Nobody's going to like this part. I'm, of it. I'm sorry. I, and I hate, but like, he is an incredible, incredible football player. I think, I think sometimes he gets a bad rap because he is a little, eccentric i guess would be the best way to like but he's he's like a football savant dude like we would get in there and he's breaking down blitzes and coverages and he's one of the most physically opposing people you'll ever be around mm -hmm. like i can remember 2016 i'm warming up to play left guard for the vikings when we're playing the panthers and i'm doing my warm-up and he ran by me and he's one of the few people that i legit stopped what i was doing and like watched like watched him walk by because he's just so big I mean, he is just a massive human being. And I mean, you, if you can get praises from a guy like Bill Belichick saying like Cam's one of the hardest working guys I've ever been around, it doesn't surprise me. Like Cam's a workaholic. Like Cam was on training camp every morning, 5 a.m. on the treadmill walking to get his cardio in every morning. That was just what Cam did. I mean, he was throwing late. He's doing everything the right way. So I think Cam's really going to embrace the the underdog mentality. I think he likes that a little bit. I mean, I think he might have gotten a little comfortable in Carolina being the MVP and having all that, that this might kind of refresh Cam. And he got the year off of, I mean, he had the issue with his shoulder and his ankle, but for the most part, he got some time to recover. And I think Cam's going to have a big year this year. As much as, as, much as I, I don't know if he's going to be MVP type Cam, but I mean, I think that he's definitely not going to be, he's not going to be the Cam of couldn't throw the ball like a couple of years ago. I think he's really going to have a big year. 
Well, my friend, this was absolutely great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. We do got to get out of here because we're at the hour limit. Man, we could go all night. Listen, we could. Check, make sure you're watching some Bills games. It's going to be a lot easier this year because they're going to be on national TV. Oh, yeah. And uh, we will check back in, my friend. Thanks so much. Absolutely, man. Go Bills. All right. That's Jeremiah Searles, everybody. Thank you so much for watching tonight. This has been awesome. I got my little one down here who's trying to pull out my cord uh, and I turned my Wi-Fi off so that could end the show real quick uh, on, on a dot. <laughs> uh, but, you know, great stuff from Jeremiah, Ryan. I mean, just some real good insight into the workings, especially the Brian Dable stuff, which I thought was, you know, really eye-opening. You, you really go sit back and think, Josh Allen's got a lot to deal with. And I, I think that even adds another layer to what we've been talking about and how it takes time until you kind of reach your comfort level with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And, and I agree with the commenter who said he's a natural. This was, that was outstanding. Just breaking things down. Uh, and, and one other thing that I really liked that he said is he, Brian Dable loves guys who are, are have that versatility. So Butker, uh, you have Ryan Bates on the offensive line, even a young guy like, uh, Reggie Gillian, he can play that H back because he showed he could play tight end or at fullback, I should say, and then they move him to tight end. So all those guys have a little bit of that flexibility, that versatility. Uh, so it rings true. He's right. Those, the more that you can provide, the better the chance that you have to kind of stick with this roster and this offense. I'm going to have to reach out to our, to our editor, uh, and, and see if we can lock up Jeremiah Searles to a contract, because I have a feeling he is going to start popping up on a lot of Buffalo Bills podcasts after that appearance. I mean, really, that was – I knew he was going to be good. I mean, I luckily for me, I've gotten a chance to uh, hang out with him quite a bit in, you know, at, at various uh, off-season events uh, this, this last off-season before COVID hit, and he's super bright. I mean, you could see it. I used to you know, make him a, a regular visit in the locker room as well. Guys like Lee Smith, guys like um, Lorenzo Alexander, guys like uh, Jeremiah Searles, they're really – they really invite you into the locker room, which is a really cool thing. Thank you so much for watching, guys. I am going to get out of here because my my daughter is going to pull out this cord. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This has been the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. If you're watching on any of the live platforms, please smash that like button. I'm going to do it for all the commenters because they always joke around in the comments saying to smash that like button. That's, I think, how the, the, the young kids are doing it these days. On the audio platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, subscribe rate and review. We're starting to kick up those numbers. I'm trying to get, you know, by the time we get into the first couple of weeks of the season, I want to get those uh, reviews up over a hundred. So help us out. We really appreciate it. This has been a great show for Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino, and we will see you on Friday night because we are going to preview this judge game. All right, guys, take care.